0: Show Me the Science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, I'm Luke O'Neill and welcome to my weekly podcast, Show Me the Science. When I take a topic that I've come across in the past few days and I tell you all about it and I'm very happy for people to send me messages and suggest topics. This one was suggested actually a few weeks ago, uh, the whole issue of genomes. And it's a coincidence because it was suggested before a big report came out on all these genomes in England being sequenced and revealing rare diseases when they wouldn't have seen them otherwise. I'm going to give you that story because it's a really good example of science and technology being used in medicine. Now, let's start off with what is a genome. I guess people listening might know what they are already But it's worth defining them The genome is the total DNA content of an organism So if I take a cell from my body Or a cell from a kangaroo I picked an animal randomly for some reason uh, Or a cell from a plant I can then look at all the DNA in that cell And get the sequence of that DNA Now remember, the DNA is the recipe for life So reading the genome gives us the recipe to make A kangaroo or a human or whatever it might be And genomics is the science of studying genomics Genomes, it's a very important part, actually, of biomedical research, because, of course, written in our genes can be the risk of diseases, and that's one of the big uses. The second big use, actually, is to do with evolution. You can use genomes to track our ancestry, and they've done that with humans, of course, and with various animals and all kinds of things. So, genomics is an important science, really, for evolutionary biology and for medicine. Are the two things. So the total DNA content. Now, of course, we humans are obsessed with ourselves, aren't we? We're the vainest creatures on the planet. The human genome, or HUGO for short, by the way. You can remember it because the initials H-U-G-O were configured. That campaign began, oh, I suppose it was in the 1990s, to try and get our own recipe. And we knew then, actually, that our recipe had about three billion letters. Now, imagine for a minute, you're reading a recipe for a cake with three billion letters. And yet the technology, mainly a guy called Fred Sanger actually, who's really one of the unsung heroes at least. He's unsung outside science. He's very, very famous in my business. He won two Nobel Prizes, Fred. He was in Cambridge. He cracked the way to read this sequence in the genome. He also cracked the way to read the sequence in proteins, which are made of amino acids. They're they're also like a bit like long beads on a string, proteins. And he, he did this, you know, and he won the Nobel Prize for being able to read the sequences in proteins and in nucleic acids and DNA. And that was a very challenging thing to do chemically. How the hell do you read three billion chemical letters? And yet, Fred... And his colleagues in Cambridge came up with a method. So he's, he's, seen, he's seen as the founding father of this in many ways. They've named the big centre in Cambridge actually after him, the big genomics centre there. It's called the Sanger Centre, named after Fred. So he was the one who gets the ball rolling in some ways and other labs as well. And then we finally get the human genome sequence. So that was a key moment. Uh, it was in 2001 that was reported. And those of you who are old like me may remember uh, Tony Blair stood up and said, hey, We've got the human genome sequence and now we can, you know, do so much in biomedicine. So we had that b- b- way back then. Now, the thing was, it had lots of promise at that point. If we could read the genomes, we can discover the basis for many different diseases as well as the hope. And they were kind of predicting at the press conference back then, oh, look, we can do this now. Medicine will accelerate massively. Now, it's 20 years since then, and it hasn't really delivered hugely except in the last week that's what the story is because they've now been able to use genomics as a way to as i say to study these diseases we all thought it'd be to go faster but as ever you know humans were optimistic creatures certainly scientists are and it's taken a bit longer. It'll still be very useful into the future, of course, but now I'm going to give you the evidence that that genomics and the human genome sequence is giving a huge amount of information. Now, what happened kind of next was, uh, in England, they decided to set up a thing called Genomics England, and that was uh, a program to sequence loads and loads of genomes of different people and examine those genomes in great detail and in the world anyway by 2018 we had one million genomes sequenced now again i can't really uh, overemphasize the triumph of that imagine a million people and sequencing their genomes it was a hugely sort of wonderful thing the first genome to be sequenced um, Uh, cost an awful lot of money. It got cheaper and cheaper as time went on and the technology improved and now it's quite possible to sequence anybody's genome, really. Now, what have they achieved here? Well, looking at all these genomes in England, they've managed to identify people with very rare genetic diseases that they otherwise would have missed. And that's the big triumph. So if we get all the genomes sequenced, say, in Ireland or anywhere in the world, really, we can spot diseases that we otherwise wouldn't spot. Now, they're rare, uh, these diseases. Uh, overall, the UK study has shown that they affect about 6% of the UK population, which when you add them all up, of course, is, is still substantial. It's 3 million people. They reckon have some kind of rare inherited disease. Uh, but again, having that information now helps us understand the basis for the disease in all those people. Without their genomes, it could have taken forever to find out what was uh, ailing these people because it would be based on symptoms and diagnosis and trying to hunt down genes in various ways and it wouldn't have been anywhere near as, as efficient. So once we have this information, we can now come up with ways to treat these people. And without it, as I'll explain, these people would have suffered for decades, you see, with insufficient treatments. But now that they know they've got these diseases, they can treat them. Now, the goal of the, um, the Genomics England was to sequence 100,000 genomes. They set that out at the very start. It began in 2013 and they began recruiting people and then taking their samples and then sequencing their genomes. And and this is the first major report from that study. Now, they've issued reports over the years, of course they have. uh, But this one, we think, is a landmark report and it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, the world's premier medical journal. And that's important, I've said this before. If you read a bit of science, In the media See where it was published If it's published in The Journal of Irreproducible Data Or whatever That's a joke title by the way uh, Don't trust it If it's in the New England Journal It's more than likely true So in other words We we get confidence from the journals That publish these things It can go wrong We've seen examples of these journals Getting it wrong sometimes But overall New England Journal Very reputable And so we look at that paper Very very closely Now what was in this publication? Well they took 4,660 people from 2,183 families. Now, remember, that meant doctors and nurses and scientists going into these families, getting the samples, Uh, some of be being in hospital with with symptoms in various ways. But this was a heroic effort to collect all these samples and then sequence the 3 billion letters in the recipe in each of those people. Now, these were people who were recruited early in the programme, Beginning in 2013 if I look at it uh, closely very early on And then we can now analyse them over that time of course Early participants they're called uh, in, in, in uh, in this whole programme Now they began looking for rare diseases in these patients' samples and guess what they found loads of them which is very interesting Uh, and in the end they've identified 25% of the cases they think in total of rare diseases in this cohort of people now of course uh, that's a big step forward it's not a huge number of people because not many would have these diseases in that group but still they've managed to spot what they think are 25% of the uh, rare diseases in these people in this way and then of course that can inform treatments and care now what are the examples there's three great examples examples here now of, uh, of identifying a disease in these people. One person was found with a genetic disease that causes a hugely problematic kidney disease and certain kidney diseases are caused by genetic defects, and they got identified in that person. That person would have had symptoms consistent with that, but even still, it wasn't known that they were carrying that gene. Now, once they found that gene, they went to this woman's father, and he had a history of really bad kidney disease, and he had the same gene, so that was great. So now they found the father and the daughter had the same genetic problems. And I guess most importantly of all, they tested her daughter. Now, she was worried that she would pass on that genetic defect to her daughter, and guess what? The daughter doesn't have it. And that gave the family relief, obviously, because their concern was the daughter might have awful kidney problems as well. Now, remember, this disease is so severe that people need dialysis, they need kidney transplants and all sorts. So it gave relief, I guess, to that family that that the daughter didn't have it. And that that was one good output from that. There's our first example, a rare genetic disease uh, which causes kidney disease not being present in someone, actually, which gives them relief. Now, the second one is probably more... Uh, sort of exciting in the sense that a treatment was used in the second one. See, in the first one, they would have been treating the woman for, for kidney problems. But, but in the second one, it was a baby boy. And sadly, he died at four months. And they looked at the genome and they discovered in that baby boy that he had a defective gene and he couldn't transport a vitamin called vitamin B12. Now, vitamin B12 is a very important vitamin in our bodies. It helps enzymes do all kinds of jobs. If you can't use vitamin B12, it is lethal. And sadly, we saw this in this baby boy. Now, then guess what? They sequence his brother's genome and they find the same defect. Now, what's really good there is they could give that baby, uh, that boy, the brother, vitamin B injections. So here we had a situation where the the brother would have been getting sick. They wouldn't have known what was causing it. They find that uh, there's a a defect in his brother in the vitamin B12 transport system and they can give vitamin B12. And that brother now is alive because of these vitamin B12 uh, injections, which is great to see. So that's a good example of intervention based on that. Now, our third example is a a girl seven years of age tried to diagnose her disease uh you know using standard methods couldn't so they do her genome and they find she's got a genetic abnormality in her bone marrow and they could give her a bone marrow transplant and they wouldn't have given that transplant unless they detected that in her genome isn't that superb? And now that it, the health service, that there's another output from this, which which they will claim, of course, is a useful thing. Um, the cost to treat that girl before the diagnosis was had been three hundred and fifty-six thousand euro. Isn't that amazing? Just just standard treatments that she was obviously getting sick in various ways. Uh, the bone marrow transplant has cost seventy thousand, and she's now cured. They wouldn't have cured that girl without sequencing her genome. And of course, there's a massive saving to the health service. But of course, it's not about that. It's about her health being preserved by this. So again, a third example where genomics was used to diagnose a disease in someone and then intervening, or at least the the, the second example intervening, where they could actually give her a bone marrow transplant and then save her. It's a fantastic example. So all of this says that this genomic sequencing then can have huge impacts on human health. Now of course there's costs with it. These are rare diseases, so you know, we'd like to see more progress, I suppose, from genomics in more common diseases, diagnosing them and also maybe treating them. But even still there are three really good examples. And there's more examples in this time. New England Journal papers, I just picked those three out because they seem to be uh, the most relevant in a way and, and, and they're easier to explain. There's some very comp- complex diseases in here as well and they can't necessarily treat them yet, but at least they know what's causing the disease. So again, that gives us another uh, important output from this, which is to do with research. Because basic research, of course, can, can, can dig into this now. And, and one big thing they're doing is looking for new genes that haven't been implicated before in diseases. Now, when I say new genes, I mean they've mutated in some way. Because remember, we all have all the genes. And all that's happening here is a is genetic difference between us. And by sequencing the gene, you can see how the recipe's broken for that gene if you like and then you get a defective protein being made and that causes disease so this genomics effort in biomedical research isn't just about diagnosis it's also about discovery we don't know the basis for many diseases remember and again, if we can use genomics now to find the basis for these diseases, that's superb. And then ultimately, that might give rise to new treatments. But that, that example of the um, 356,000 uh, th- that was spent and then 70K, ultimately, the argument is even though genomics is hard to do and hard to set up and it's quite laborious and somewhat expensive. Ultimately, there could be huge savings made if we deploy genomics. So the future, and Ireland is part of this, actually. There's been a lot of debate about sequencing lots of genomes in Ireland. Uh, There's a huge effort all over the world now to ramp up genomics. And really, the future is all of our genomes should be sequenced. And you will go to your doctor. uh, Now, maybe the doctor will say, look, I've seen a genetic difference here. I'm going to advise you to do this. It could be some change in lifestyle. It could be some treatment. Or on the other hand, they might say, right, come in and see me now. And I'm going to test you for these diseases and see if you have them. You know, so it's very, very informative for molecular medicine, as we call call this. And the future, therefore, has to be genomics in many ways in medicine, even though it's very expensive and very tricky to do. It's, um, it's a really important new technology that we must deploy. And I would predict if I put on my... Um, my Captain Kirk hat here in the Starship Enterprise. They never mentioned genomics in Star Trek. What was wrong with them? Of course, not much was going on in genomics back then, but uh, I bet you everybody on the Starship Enterprise had their genomes sequenced and you can see this massive recipe then for all the proteins in their body and then you can see if there's defects and then maybe correct them. Where this might go ultimately and I think we've done done podcasting this before, things like CRISPR to correct that genetic defect. Can you imagine if you do a genomic sequence, uh, even from a fetal sample, and then go in and correct the genetic defect? Wouldn't that be tremendous? And that would stop the disease starting in the first place. The goal here, of course, would be to stop these diseases through genetic changes, uh, which is the real goal. I guess it's difficult to do at the moment. Uh, uh, Apart from that, then the treatments I gave you as examples, B12, and the bone marrow transplant is happening anyway, you know. But ultimately, we want to correct these genetic defects in people. And outside genomics, I'm going to finish on this because guess what's coming down the track as well? A thing called epigenomics. Now, what does epi mean? It means outside the genome. But what that means is the gene recipe hasn't changed. Is the amount of the gene that's being expressed that might change. There are like volume controls on genes actually and they're little chemical marks. If you make too much of a cake's ingredient the cake won't work properly either. Equally in human disease if you make too much of a protein or too, too little of it uh, then you might get some kind of uh, ailment and there's an effort now to get the epigenome as well. So we're moving into the frontier now beyond genomics and epigenomics and that's another goal of the future. So there you have it, the science of genomes. Very exciting development, uh, delivering last it's taken 20 years you might say one level Uh, but it's a huge success story there for genomics england a big congrats to all the scientists there where they're able to diagnose rare diseases in the UK population and then come up with treatments for them and the future as I say is really great never been brighter really for this whole science of genomics that's this week's podcast Uh, thanks very much for listening and of course it's available for download it's a news talk production and you can get it every Thursday using whatever measure or means you might do thank you very much for listening